Trigger warning. This episode includes the topics of child trafficking and infanticide. Listener discretion is advised. The Ideal Maternity Home was opened by Leela and William Young in the 1920s as a way to offer discreet birthing and adoption for unwed mothers and widows. But greed got the best of them, and they became more interested in making profits than offering quality health care. In this episode, we'll talk about the illegal adoption business they were running, how they dealt with unmarketable babies, and why their victims were known as the Butterbox Babies. Next, on Technically a Conversation. You're listening to Technically a Conversation, a podcast where we share an interesting topic or story with each other and hope you find it interesting as well. I'm one half of your host, the meaty tuck himself, Jose, <laughs> and I'm joined as always by my lovely co-host, Isela Negretti. How are you doing today? <laughs> doing pretty good. How are you doing? Doing excellent. Have you started watching any holiday movies yet? I know you're a big Christmas fan. I do love Christmas. I have not gotten into any holiday movies, sadly. Have you? The only one that I watched was the Guardians of the Galaxy one, the holiday special. Okay. How was that? Uh, surprisingly, it wasn't awful. I guess I had a really bad idea of James Gunn after the Suicide Squad and Peacemaker. Mm -hmm. But I'm pretty convinced that he's a double agent and he's making awful shit for DC and doing good stuff for Marvel. That's so weird. Okay, cool. As long as you enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't bad. I actually did like it. Cool. I think you'll enjoy it also. Kevin Bacon is in it. I don't remember the last time I saw something with Kevin Bacon, <laughs> but I liked him in Footloose and that was a very long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> they referenced that movie a lot in it. Oh, great. That's going to be funny. Quick shout out to the queens, Elena and Erica, the Duke, Stephen B., Concha Zoom Pod Podcast, Elba, and Claudia S. Thank you for sharing our posts on your social media. Thank you guys so, so much. With all that business out of the way, ready to get started? Always. Great. Let's get started. So I'm afraid this is not going to be one of the whimsical, lighthearted topics that I usually present, but it's been one that I've been wanting to do for a couple of weeks now. Our super friends have already heard the trigger warning at the beginning of the show, so if they made it this far, they know what they're in for. Isela, has there ever been anything that you've hoped for more than anything in this world, but it never materialized? And I'm not talking about your unhealthy obsession with Zach Morris when you were in seventh grade and wanted to marry him. <laughs> Something more substantial. <laughs> A Cabbage Patch doll, I think I had mentioned that early in the podcast. <laughs> I always wanted it. A Cabbage Patch doll, but I never got it. I mean, my, you know, my mom tried her best, but <laughs> maybe that, I don't know why that's the only thing that's coming to mind. <laughs> I think that's childhood trauma. It could be. Yeah. I'm still pining. I'm just kidding. No, I'm not. <laughs> well, if you remember on episode like three or something, I gave you a Cabbage Patch doll. So I still have Sammy the Sloth. Yes. <laughs> Today, we're going to talk about this hope. A hope that many mothers have had, specifically those that had their babies at a particular maternity home in Chester Basin, Nova Scotia. 
According to a Los Angeles Times article by Helen O'Neill, link in the show notes, in December of 1997, 78-year-old Violet Eisenhower stood shivering in the snow above an unmarked grave as she watched two archaeologists dig a two-foot trench for many hours. As dusk approached, the men handed Violet some paper-thin bone fragments stained dark brown by the soil. The biggest piece, about one inch round, remotely resembled a baby's skull. <gasps> Along with the remains were shards of wood from a coffin and a button. The hope was that DNA tests could be done on the remains to find out who was buried in the butter box beneath the birch tree on the hill. Did the remains belong to an animal? Did they belong to a human baby? And most importantly, did they belong to the dark-haired girl she nursed for 14 days? <gasps> for 57 years, she wondered if all her suspicions, all the rumors, all the news reports had been true, and there was a chance her daughter was still alive. Today, we'll discuss how the ideal maternity home was anything but ideal and why this case is known as the Butterbox Babies. Before we continue, are you familiar with this story? Never heard of this story at all. What do you think? Did the remains belong to Violet's daughter? I guess it seems like it would be too small to determine. I don't. And then how do they know her DNA to match? Oh, because if it's her mom, I don't. I guess it's too early to tell. I wouldn't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> okay, so I promise before the end of this episode, I'll pull a Maury and reveal the DNA results. Ah, oh, Maury Povich. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but before I do, let's Tarantino this bitch and see how we arrived at this moment. Okay. According to an Evie Magazine article by Jessica Marie Bumgarner, Leela and William Young opened the ideal maternity home in the 1920s as a way for young married couples and unwed mothers to give birth while being discreet. This discretion really became important as World War II came around and many young men left behind unmarried mothers and widows. Add to that the strain of resources by the war effort and the ideal maternity home became one of the only places to serve the region and was remodeled and expanded to include 54 bedrooms and accommodate 100 babies in the nursery at any given time. Being in essence a monopoly in the region, the Young's business became more about making profits than providing health care. They were charging mothers between $300 to $500 to deliver their children. At the time, the average person made only $8 a week. Adjusted for inflation, $8 was $170 in 2022 money. The mothers were charged between $6,386 to $10,643 to deliver their babies. If a mother was not able to pay off the debts, not a problem. The Youngs allowed the families to work off the debts by working at the maternity home. Everyone wins, right? The mothers deliver the babies. The Youngs have free labor. What could possibly go wrong, right? All the greed. <laughs> I can hear it already, all the greed. <laughs> Definitely the greed was a big part in this. The Youngs discovered they could make a lot more money doing a little side hustle. F $10,000 in 2022 money, they found a way to make $10,000 in 1940s money. That would be $213,000 in 2022 money. Do you want to take a little guess? A gander, if you will, at what that little side hustle could have been? Unfortunately, my mind is going to a very dark place. And I'm assuming, you know, they're going to say something like, oh, I don't know what happened to your kid. It just died. And then they're selling it for parts like a, uh, 
I don't even want to think about that, but I, I'm assuming that's probably where it went. Well, your spidey senses are not far off. The Youngs discovered that at that time, it was against the law to adopt a baby that was outside of your religion. In other words, a Jewish family was only allowed to adopt a Jewish baby. A Christian family could only adopt a Christian baby. On the East Coast of the U.S., there was a big disparity of Jewish couples wishing for a baby but not being able to find one of their own religion. Now, it's important that I clarify here, especially with all the anti-Semitism that's currently going on. It's not that the couples didn't want a baby that wasn't Jewish. It's that by law, they were not allowed to adopt a baby legally unless the baby was also Jewish. The young saw an opportunity and took advantage of this. They used their facility to provide babies of any background illegally to any adoptive family. But just like today, there were some unwed mothers or widows that weren't in a position to raise their babies. It could have been due to financial reasons, societal reasons, or maybe the mother's mental state at the time. But the demand was higher than the supply. How do you think the youngs solved the supply issue? I'm assuming they're just going to take the babies that, you know, these poor women that were single and kind of convince them, talk them out of or into rather giving them up. We'll see if you're right mm -hmm. after this quick commercial break. Are local lore, legends, and laughter your thing? Then come check out our podcast, or so they say, where two sisters travel small-town America, one ghostly tale at a time. We're your hosts, Midwest Twins, Megan. And Kelsey. Join us every Thursday where you get to hear not just the history behind haunted locations, but our own personal experiences as well. Faceless nuns. Check. Harmonica playing ghost. Check. Tangents that have nothing to do with spooky things whatsoever. You have no idea. So join our spooky crew and follow along as we investigate a haunted place near you. Listen to, or so they say, wherever you stream your favorite podcasts. Come check us out. Goodbye. Bye. Welcome back. Did you adopt any children from the ideal maternity home during our break, Isela? No, but I'm getting frustrated with this. They're they're already jerks in my in my uh, mind. Okay, good, good. Because I wanted to ask you, what are your thoughts on the Youngs and the ideal maternity home up to this point? So far, does everything feel like it's on the up and up? Absolutely not. Here's the thing with great ideas. I think people have great ideas and they start out with great intentions sometimes. I know there are plenty of times that people straight out intend to scam people, but it kind of sounded like maybe this did start with a good intention and then all of a sudden it just went to shit with, you know, them getting money and then starting to see other avenues, you know, like the river and the tributaries, they're starting to see all these other options, unfortunately. Well, let's explore this together. Before the break, I had mentioned that the Youngs were selling children to couples who wished to have a baby, but were unable to find one of their own religion as adopting a baby of a different religion was against the law at that time. But the Youngs were faced with a supply issue. There were more couples interested in adopting than there were children looking for a loving home. How did you say that they solved this? I had theorized that perhaps they were trying to talk these single mothers into giving them up for adoption. Maybe they went in thinking they were going to keep them and just have them on the low, but instead they went in 
trying to to convince them to drop to to give them up for adoption. Let's see if you're right. When the youngs discovered they could make 20 times as much money adopting the babies out as they did delivering the babies, it was a deal too good to pass up. So they created a surplus of babies eligible to be adopted by telling the mothers that the child died shortly after childbirth or died mysteriously in the night. The very healthy and very much alive baby would then be adopted out. Violet Eisenhower, who we discussed at the beginning of the story, was told by Leela Young that her daughter became ill during the night and passed away. The baby was already prepared for burial and was handed to them in a wooden butter box with the lid screwed on tightly. Her family was told that the baby wasn't fit to be seen. Violet stated that she didn't even think to question it. She couldn't imagine anyone would take her baby. Violet never had another child. She never stopped mourning the one that she lost. Violet recalled being told by a suspicious mother that a couple had gone in looking for a baby girl to adopt and Violet's mother was the only girl in the nursery at the time. <gasps> the article didn't specify how much time had passed between when she was told her daughter had died to when the other mother had told her of her suspicions, but this was the hope that Violet had, that her daughter was still alive and she would hopefully meet her again soon. Sadly, Violet wasn't the only mother that this happened to. After the nursery had been remodeled, it could hold up to 100 babies. Some reports stated that they had as many as 80 babies at any one time. This is where the story really gets dark. If the youngs found themselves stuck with a baby they considered to be unmarketable, they couldn't really give it back to the mother after declaring it dead. So they fed the child a thin diet of molasses and water, which would kill the baby over the course of two weeks. I hate these people. <laughs> <laughs> they really are awful, and it's going to get worse. Wow. A baby was considered unmarketable if the child became ill, had deformities, dark spots, or birthmarks. <gasps> if that wasn't bad enough, the unmarketable babies weren't the only ones to die at the ideal maternity home. As the business grew, so did the unsanitary conditions, which caused some babies to die of illness. As we mentioned earlier, there were mothers that worked at the maternity house, usually paying off their debts. It's unknown why they never reported the atrocities that happened there. One theory is that they might have suspected something, but didn't have any evidence to prove any wrongdoing. Another is that they were afraid of losing any discretion provided by the youngs at their home. Again, a lot of these women were unwed, and at the time, that wasn't seen very moral by people. Wow. The dead babies were then placed in a wooden butter box and buried on the premises. This is how the victims became known as the butter box babies. It's unknown exactly how many children this happened to, as the ideal maternity home had a fire in 1960 that burned all the records. In addition to that, some of the babies were also buried off of the premises at a nearby cemetery named Fox Point, or they were dumped out at sea or burned in the home's furnace. Also, many of the births and subsequent deaths were not reported to local authorities. So I know that's a lot. What are your thoughts? When you mentioned the fire, I was thinking that it wasn't an accident. It was a air quotes accident. <laughs> you know what I mean? So when you said, oh, who knows how many babies this happened, this was their possible way of clearing that slate. Oh, and then they can say, oh, you only have proof of, I don't know, 20 or whatever the number is. But when the number could probably be upwards in the hundreds or something, I don't, I don't know how long they were in operation, but that's uh, awful and upsetting. I have such a soft spot for babies. It's, yeah, it's really upsetting. Me too. When it comes to babies, seniors and pets usually, or, or any animal, 
usually I have a real soft spot for those. Same. So that kind of segues a little into the next topic. Mm-hmm. Do you want to know how they got caught? I really hope there was some type of whistleblower inside, but it sounds like that's not the satisfaction I'm going to get. <laughs> so I don't know. Um, no, I guess you'll have to tell me. <laughs> so the public health officials began investigating the ideal maternity home all the way back in 1935, but they were never really able to create a case against the Youngs. It wasn't until 1945 that an inspection showed signs of abuse and neglect. The inspector found filthy bedding, swarming flies, and infants that only weighed half of the healthy weight for their age. (gasps) Despite pediatricians and mothers testifying against the Youngs, the courts only took away their license and ordered the maternity home to shut down in November of 1945. That's a long time. <laughs> Some of the things that came out during the trial were how overcrowded and deadly the home was. One mother testified that her baby died after receiving no medical attention and was buried in a butter box. She also admitted that the youngs coerced her into cosplaying as a nurse during a health department inspection. Another mother admitted to lying on adoption forms and saying her child was Jewish to get around adoption laws. Despite having lost their license, the Youngs continued to operate illegally, or more illegally than they had been. And in spring of 1946, they were convicted on three counts of operating without a license and were fined a jaw-dropping $150, or $2,483-2022. That's definitely not enough. Oh my God, that's even more frustrating. (laughs) Where where the heck were these inspectors for even the last 10, from 35 to 45? What the hell? $150. They were <sighs> making $10,000 for the adoption. Oh my God, that's so fucking ridiculous. The Youngs continued to give zero fucks. And in June of 1946, they were fined $428.90 for illegally selling babies to four American couples. I like how it it was exactly $428.90. You're only being fined what the court finds is fair. Not a penny more, not a penny less. Wow. Under $500 a life. That's insane. That equals exactly $6,554.74 in 2022 money. (laughs) Make sure those 74 cents are there. I'm going to count them. What an insult. What an insult. Wow. And again, keep in mind, they're making the equivalent of $213,000 per kid at the time. So that literally was a slap on the wrist to them. Yeah. So do you think that deterred them? Absolutely not. They're still making money hand over fist, unfortunately. You are correct. That did not deter them. And they continued operating full steam ahead. What ultimately put a nail in the butter box of this operation, pardon the inappropriate attempt at humor. Yes. (laughs) Was Leela Young's arrogance. She had filed a $25,000 liable lawsuit against the Montreal Standard Publishing Company for the bad publicity from covering all the ideal maternity homes crimes. This led to further investigations that exposed the gruesome details of the maternity home, including how the deceased babies were buried on the property. Even though the liable lawsuit was dismissed by the courts, this was enough to bankrupt the Young's and they were forced to sell off their property and move away. The Youngs never served a single day in jail due to a lot of legal loopholes that they operated under. Wow. 
even the deaths of the babies, it could never be proven that they were murdered, only that they died of illness or starvation. And the youngs probably knew this, and that's why they probably fed the babies water and molasses until they died, rather than just murdering them outright. That's so sad. Where did we get the information that the babies were only fed the water and the molasses? Yeah, this was reported in an EV magazine article that was written by Jessica Marie Baumgartner. There was actually a book that came out, uh, I want to say in the 1990s, that talked about this. But really, most of what we know is what came out of that liable lawsuit because um, the Montreal Standard Publishing Company was being sued due to bad publicity. So they had to prove that they were acting in malice. So this led to further investigations. And then the investigations is when they started interviewing people and they started looking through whatever little records they did have to expose some of the things that we do know. Got it. I guess I was just, I was even thinking even darker. Like they probably didn't even give them water and anything, just kind of left them to die. It's possible. Yeah. It's possible they just said that they gave them water and molasses until they died to avoid being uh, charged with murder. This is awful. Oh my goodness. As I promised earlier, now is the Maury Povich segment of the show. <laughs> the remains that were exhumed had been sent for DNA testing. And after five months of waiting, Violet finally had the results from the medical examiner. The results were inconclusive. Oh. For Violet, she was ecstatic to receive that news because for her, it meant that the search for her daughter continued. This was in April of 1999. Violet passed away on January 7th, 2002 at the age of 81. I searched for quite a while to see if I could find anything stating that she had found her daughter, but I was unsuccessful. Oh, that's heartbreaking. It is. <laughs> I couldn't even locate an obituary. That stinks. I was really hoping for at least some kind of a reunion, happy ending. <laughs> okay. Yeah, me too. That's what I was hoping for when I was doing this research. Yeah, this is rough. I imagine if she would have found her daughter, it would have been covered somewhere especially since her particular case received a lot of attention. There was a whole chapter dedicated to Violet in that book that came out about the uh, Butterbox babies. Mm. So all this is pretty heartbreaking, right? Oh my gosh, for sure. Oh, my heart goes out to the moms. It, yeah, of course you want to think that your child is out there somewhere thinking about you too, and they know that that's not their real parents just because of like child and you know, like child's intuition or something of that sort. Yeah, that's so heartbreaking. It is. Want me to break your heart just a little more? <laughs> Technically, no, but <laughs> please do go on. <laughs> In 1997, there was a reunion of all the survivors, all the grown children who had been adopted from the ideal maternity home. Reportedly, there were hundreds of people that attended the weekend memorial service that was marked with many hugs and tears. Many of the survivors called Violet mom and she stated it was wonderful and it was like having her own family. She also stated that before having the remains exhumed for testing, a woman had reached out to Violet claiming to be her daughter. She said the birth date didn't match and she didn't see any resemblance in her photographs, but she agreed to meet with her anyway. She was looking for her mother, Violet was looking for her daughter. Neither of the two had anyone, so they thought they might as well pretend. Despite pretending, she never lost hope of one day finding her real daughter. I don't think any parent would lose hope. I've heard even when parents have kids that are even in a coma, 
they hold on to that hope that they're eventually going to come out of the coma type of thing. I mean, not that it's on the same level at all because they can see their kid and it's there and they're, but it's just really speaking more to parents never really give up hope. It, years and years like did you heard recently about the lady who was found they found their daughter 51 years later and the mom was like i never gave up hope 51 years later really that's amazing i think i would be the same way if i was a parent i would never want to lose that hope yeah and i think it's that hope that keeps you going in life violet also talked about how when she would go to certain places she would look at people and see if they kind of resembled her and to see if maybe they looked to be about the same age as her daughter would have been. Pretty much everywhere she went, it pretty much turned into a search, a face search, trying to find anybody that even resembled her. I could completely understand that. I think I would be doing the same thing, constantly wondering, oh, that person's probably around the same age. Is that, you know, could that be her? I would probably be that crazy person trying to pluck off hairs from their <laughs> from their jacket <laughs> just so I could, you know, do my own DNA testing or something. I don't know. But I know me and I'm going to be honest. Like, yeah, if your hair fell and you're the, around the same age, I'm going to take that piece of hair. <laughs> it's really awful. And I was really hoping that Violet would find some closure. Yes. And I probably looked for a couple of hours just going down those ancestry websites and everything. And see if I could find anybody that claimed that they were related to her. But as far as I could say, I couldn't find that. I couldn't find any obituary. And I think it was really true that she didn't have anybody. That's why no obituary was ever prepared. Right. Wow, that's heartbreaking. I didn't I had not heard about this story at all. Yeah, and I believe her husband died at the age of thirty-eight of um I wanna say it was a brain cancer or something. So she was by herself for years. <sighs> That's so incredibly young, 38. Yeah. Oh, that's so awful. This lady had a lot of tragedy. She did. Jeez. I mean, it's bad enough just losing your kid. Oh, wow. On that high note. Yeah. <laughs> we hope that you enjoyed the show and you join us again next week. If you're enjoying the show, leave us a review, tell a friend, and subscribe wherever find podcasts are sold follow us on the socials at greetings tac email us at greetings tac at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 915-317-6669 if you have a story to share with us or if you just want to say what up or if you want to tell us what you think about violet's story <laughs> oh yes 